Eat it up, my selector. Ta, ta, ta. Shot like this could I never miss. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 90s Rave podcast, Raw. On this spin-off show, we uh, cover discussions and interviews that perhaps don't quite fit onto the main podcast, but they're often no less interesting. And today's a great example of that. James Watts was inspired by 1990s uh, happy hardcore scene. And as MC Wattsy, he went on to become one of the UK's top hardcore MCs over the past two decades. And my name's Tom Latcham. He's an old pal of mine. Uh, he's always good value, so I thought I'd get him on for a chinwag about his love of the 90s rave scene and about his career in rave music since then. Hello, James. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. You okay? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you very much. Um, well, I mean, let's start with now, right? Because uh, you haven't been playing out much at all recently uh, due to COVID. How have you been finding that, mate? <sighs> um, I think my last event was March, which was Uproar in Birmingham. And it's been been a bit strange for for twenty years. You've got to think I've been on the road pretty much ooh, once once every fortnight at at worst, really. And to to have been sat at home for six months, not not emceed or anything, it's been been a bit strange. What what's been good is spending a lot of time with the family and catching up on things that I've probably missed over the last few years. But not to be driving through the through the night and stopping at services at uh, six a.m. looking for McDonald's. It seems a bit of a bit of a weird life. I know. I'm actually love doing that. And you're weirdly a, a huge lover of McDonald's. You've always loved McDonald's. I don't know why you like eating that crap. But uh, well, that's, at least it's good for your waistline. That's one thing that's that's useful. Um, <laughs> when when do you reckon you'll be back then, and in what form? Um, I've made the decision that I won't be doing social distance raves. It's not, it's not for me. Um, I just, I don't, without being arrogant, I don't need the money. Um, I, I know that there's some people who, who, who's chasing the dream and just wanting to get out there and do it. I, I would rather go back and do something I enjoy. Um, and that, that is probably going to be a bigger, bigger rave. Uh, the stage I am in my career now. I'm just going to wait until it's back to some sort of normality, really. Seven, eight hundred people not having to MC with a mask on or behind a shield, or it's it's just not for me, Tom. I'll, I'll wait. I'll see what what comes about. But I'm not I'm not desperate right now. I'm not I'm not begging people to book me or to get me out. I'm just going to wait and see what it is, and not I'll I'll do what it is when it when it comes around. Well, the reason why you don't need the money is because for anyone that doesn't know, is it's not your main job. You've got another job. You're heavily involved in football. Is it general manager you are of, of Hereford FC? Um, yeah. Uh, well, football, of course, has been badly affected as well, hasn't it? It's a tough time to do that gig too. Yeah, well, five years ago, I think someone said to me, oh, you're a lucky guy. You've got two industries that will never, never go missing. Music and football will <laughs> always be there. And uh, people didn't predict this one, and I know I most certainly didn't. So, um, football industry is in a bad place. It's it's in a very bad place. Um, I think you see today, Macclesfield Town have gone bust. Southend uh, are on the verge of it. There's at least ten clubs that I know of who are probably another four weeks away from from the same fate. It's it's not good. It's not good for football. The the thousand spectators from October that that's coming this week, it's going to help a little bit, but it's it's not going to help a lot. If you're you're looking at an average player in League Two is paid probably thirteen fourteen hundred quid a week, 
you've got 22 of them and you've got a thousand fans coming in paying 15 pound you ain't you ain't making you ain't making the books balance with that it's just not happening so uh i feel sorry for football in general so what's the future then for football uh, particularly lower down the lower down the uh, the further down you go, as with Hereford, of course, in non-league. Well, we 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 got to look at um, social bubbling. Um, that that's crucial to the capacity that you will get long term. So the best thing is that if if families come in sixes, it increases the capacity. The worst thing that I see so far is a lot of people actually go to football on their own, whether to be get away from the misses or I, I don't know whether it, it's a trying to meet new people but the thing that that does to you to get away from the mister you should say i think it's 2020, yeah, yeah. It's 2020 james <laughs> yeah i've got to be politically correct here haven't i so yeah so I'm, i apologize there but yeah it um but if you go on your own then that's one then it's missed two seats one missed two seats etc etc where if you're in a family of six it's only missed two seats and you could have another six so football clubs are desperate for people right now to do this as, as a family because that's what will generate more revenue. Um, but I don't think that's where football is myself. Well, it's, look, it's a tough time for football. It's a tough time for raves right now. So let's try and bring a bit of positivity back. We got you on to talk about the, the 90s rave scene. And I, and I want to know, because we, we, you know, we, we talk to, particularly on, on this spin-off show, we're going to talk to people who weren't necessarily there but we're inspired by it. And that's certainly the case for you, isn't it? How did you get back in, uh, get into rave music back in the, in the 1990s? So um, going back to my, my old high school, uh, Liz Harry back in, in early nineties, one of my mate's brothers gave me um, a fantasy. Tip. Well, actually, first of all, I heard him blasting the music out of his bedroom. So we were, we were in the attic doing stuff you shouldn't drink in beer when you're 13, smoking Lambert and Butler fags out of the attic roof. And uh, yeah, we, and I came downstairs and I was like, oh, Carl, what's that? He's like, oh, it's Fantasia Big Bang. I was like, oh, let me borrow that. And I was just hooked on it. And um, then I think my same friend, his, his sister and her boyfriend run a bus to go to a rave in uh, Porth Call. So we, we all went to that. And yeah, I just got into it. And then it was from from going from the Welsh events, I started to go to Shep the Mallet for the Dreamscape, Milton Keynes for Hardcore Heaven, Helter Skelter. And it just built. And I just got very, very into that scene, probably from the age of 16, 17. Just, just preferred it. Like the, the Newport nightclub scene was okay, but the raves was something... I was into. I remember being in school with it on my Walkman continually. Teachers going, "What's that noise?" And it was it was always me listening to to something with. I don't know if you know. You could wire your your earphones up through your shirt sleeve, and then you lift it. So I'd be yeah, doing yeah, I'd be yeah. doing my work, and I'd be like, "Ah." Do, 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 do. Just, uh, How did you get on at school? Uh, not very well at first. <laughs> and then, uh, you've known me a long time Tom it's one of them things I had a bit of a wake up call my GCSE results came in and being a class clown for, for the last year of high school I was like hang on a minute this this isn't what I need to do so I reprogrammed myself I went back to college and then got my A-levels my, my HND my degree and in recent times I've got my master's degree as well so it's um, it's just one of them things with me sometimes I need to be sort of punched in the face and knocked down to just dust myself back off and go, right, okay, 
you've learned a lesson here. It's time to come back with something different. And that's the way I've always been. So you went to Sheps and Mallet to some of those raves. Uh, what, what were the raves? And can you remember, what was, your, what was your first one? Can you describe the feeling when you walked in to that first major big rave? Not the ones in, in Wales, the big national ones. Oh, Shep the Mallet was, was unbelievable because obviously you're, you're going in and you've, you've queued up for a couple of hours and it, you've always listened to the tapes when you were in school and you've, you've seen some videos on VHS back in the day and you, but you never could quite experience what, what it was going to be. Um, to walk into an arena with five, 6,000 people, speakers really loud, um, just, just a completely different atmosphere. It was, it was like, wow, look at, look at this. And, um, yeah, that them them nineties raves, the late nineties, before before the music started to to rip off Hanson and just just garbage that it was ninety nine style. If you're talking between ninety six and ninety eight, that type of music, them events, they were they were immense. Well, they were amazing. Um, I don't think there'll ever be events like that again. In terms of atmosphere, don't get me wrong, there has been stuff. 2000 onwards that have been probably as big if not bigger but in terms of whistles horns the the atmosphere the dancing the the day glow all of that um you're, you're talking 97 98 that's that's the time that i'll always stand out to me some of them events were amazing and what was it about because you you were more into happy hardcore really weren't you but you, you got into fantasia when it was it was all it was all hardcore basically but what was it yeah. about when it when it moved into happy hardcore that, that that made you into that rather than for instance you know going down the drum and bass route or both yeah like i think probably the the early sets were, were fantasia big bang i listened to um there was the edge club i listened to them bought them packs it was Dance Planet, I think it was, Dance Paradise, them sort of things. I listened to it all. And then I think that it was mainly the the sort of force and styles, Hicksy style, cheesier stuff that was pretty much, if I'm gonna say it, 80s vocals with with a bit of a beat behind it. That that was it. So you're listening to songs that you've heard your mum and dad listening to, but all of a sudden they're a bit cool. Um and, and that's that's what it was. It's um like, I'm not sure you can say they were a bit cool, mate. <laughs> you're, I remember, you're listening. I remember I used to, uh, when I used to first go into raves, um, I would often go into, um, go, into, go into work the next day. I worked in a garden centre and they'd have Magic FM on. And I'd just be like, oh, this one sounds, I, I know this one. <laughs> this, one's, <laughs> this one's a hardcore tune. And I'd be like, oh, I'm, still, I'm still back in the raves. <laughs> No, I know that feeling. So yeah, just there, there was all of them on it. it. Just and sometimes you you watch like old films when they're on Sky now, and you're like the soundtrack. You're like, hang on a minute, <laughs> 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 I'm your vinyl so, groomer. For that. <laughs> and so, what was it about? Because um, you 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 became an MC, but you're obviously into the music. What? Why didn't you uh, go down the DJ route? Did you buy records? Uh, yeah, probably when I was like 15, 16 in school, but just wasn't for me. I, I, I always remember that, um, oh, probably just when I finished school, I went to work in some call center and I just had everyone in stitches that like, they could give me 10 words and I just make up like random sort of lyrics out of it. So I knew I had a, a bit of a talent of just coming up straight off the top and doing it. So I knew straight away that, that coming up with, with stuff that, could make people laugh or I was a bit more of a wordsmith rather than a DJ. I never really had that interest in, in 
DJing. I looked at it for a while and just thought, nah, not not really me. Um, so I, I went down it. Don't get me wrong. I, I understand that the MCs get slated by pretty much everyone and all, always have done. But I just felt that when I, when I started it, I thought I came with something a little bit different. Um, I understand that there's people who, who, who still love me and there's people who absolutely detest me. It's just part of signing up to the job. It's, just, it's the same with football. Like if you, if you put yourself in that shop window, you're going to get hammered. Um, there's going to be people who love you, but you're going to get hammered as well. And you're, you're going to know it's in journalism as well, Tom. It's, it's, sometimes you're going to have people that tell you that you're the greatest thing ever, and then you, you do a no, search not, on... Not, not often enough, to be honest. No, no. But, <laughs> but, but, you do a little search on Twitter of your name, and it's like, ooh, that's things. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's a top Shot like this could I never miss. And and who were the MCs that inspired you? So can you remember that Fantasia, Big Bang? Who? What MC stood out from well, that, for instance? I think it was MC MC that, that done that. And um, yeah, I just thought that he was very much that sort of host thing that that sort of done full circle a little bit and hardcore tried to implement um, with the Australians in around 2014. Just in my opinion, it doesn't work now because it's, it's that 90s style that that was there. So I listened to him, and then I think 96, probably more the Yasharki and Marley type stuff that, that took it up a little bit. And then that was really it. I think that I based myself a little bit on what I'd, I'd listened to back then and not what was the, the 98, 99 MC. So it was like when I came in and had my own take on it it was my own take but it was inspired a little bit old schooly as well so all of a sudden everyone was just like oh this guy's different uh, and I've, I've read it loads of people they're like they always remember that the the slamming vinyl events 2002 2003 of like wow who's that guy up there he's he's way away from what everyone else is doing but that was just because i had i had a lot of inspiration from a li- lot of different places so i had the old school Fantasia sets. I had the Marley and Sharky influences of '96. Then I had probably my own growing up in Newport as well, and my university background, and just just everything. It all came together, and that's what created the artist that I thought that I was. In hindsight, everything that that was great of mine was probably, or is still seen by the hardcore community as great, is probably wrote pre two thousand and five. It's it's just. I don't know whether that's the drive you've got early doors or whether that's what the culture and the rave was back then. Um, I don't know. I always tried to keep evolving, but if you said to anyone, oh, name what's his five best lyrics, they'd all be pre-2005. 100%. I, I know that. Maybe you need to up your writing game, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to be honest, mate, the, the last five, six years since I got involved in football, I, I very rarely write lyrics for MCM because it's not what the crowd want they they I don't want to be disrespectful but the majority of a hardcore crowd now is 30 plus um and it's a lot of people that have gone and had kids and then have just got back into it now there's no young kids into it there's there's I'm not going to inspire any new kids to get into a music genre I'm 42 years of age um what was a sixteen-year-old kid going to be inspired by me about? Re- realistically, that's that's where I am. Um, 
don't get me wrong, some 33-year-old that's had five kids and decided to come out and rave for the weekend will go, oh, bro, remember you saying that in 2003? That, that's, that's me. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm the old jukebox, mate. <laughs> well, your, your style, actually, it probably suits drum and bass more. I would say, you know, often doing the sort of the double rhyme time, that sort of thing. And, and, and when you look at the successes that drum and bass MCs have had and still have, you know, on an ongoing basis, huge numbers of them on, on flyers, do you ever think, oh, I made a bit of a mistake getting into hardcore? Oh, mate, 100%. 100%. I think that probably around 2003, um, when broke into slamming and hardcore Evan, et cetera, et cetera, there were... Um, I think oh, there was a big event in Evolution Cardiff drum and bass hysteria, and there was there was talk then of our oh, do you fancy sort of jumping ship to come and do a couple of sets at this and I, I done I, don't get me wrong I've done bits of like just mixes um, I've done quite a few sets at hardcore events with Nicky Black Market done stuff with Hamilton but. I, I probably had gone so far down the road that you can't jump. You, you, once you've been a hardcore MC for seven, eight years, you, your name's done. That's it. You're, you're not going to get accepted by doing anything. Don't get me wrong. Um, I will probably touch on it later. By 2012, my love for the hardcore music as it is had gone. Um, I just felt that it started to decline in 2009 and it lost this identity and it hasn't had an identity for the last decade. And as I said, everyone that's still into it are back from, they're there from 2008. There's no one new that's in there. It's just, it's just people living off what was once a great scene and it's no longer not. It's like watching classic movies on Sky, really. <laughs> you go to an hardcore reef to reminisce what it was like 10, 15 years ago. That's a problem, isn't it, that hardcore's had over the years, that it's, it's always just had the same names on the flyers, which actually, in a way, makes your um, ascent into the, into the scene and onto the flyers and to become, as you did, the, probably you know um, one of the top three hardcore MCs in the country, all the more impressive, really, because it's, such a, it's been such a static scene over the years and uh, do you think that do, do, do you blame that for its death in the late 90s and and its death again now oh 100 percent. i've always been very critical of um i felt that every flyer and every event was based around hicksy darren styles storm and whiskey um and i just felt that it got it was just so stale that you could go to heart you could go to hardcore heaven one week you go to HTID the next week, you go to Uproar the week after, and it'd be the same. And when I promoted events in Cardiff and Newport, I would never book them sets. I was very, I would put myself on with Hixie, I would put myself on with Styles, I, because I could see it. And I was always, we had, we had, um, I always laugh at it, we had a, an MC meeting at a hotel in, oh, I can't even remember where it was. It was that much of a pointless day in my life. But, they were talking about oh, who was there. How do, oh, just everyone, mate. But it was it was embarrassing. It really was. What they all travelled from just, around the country for this meeting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just put my <laughs> hand up and went, okay. I said, this this is where I am. Uh, are we all going to swap sets? Am I going to MC for Darren Styles at Westfest? And and no one could answer. And I was just like, well, this is yeah. You're seeing a hardcore starting to to drop off. The reason why it's starting to drop off is because the scene is so because the scene is just stale. 
everywhere you go, you see the same thing every week. You see Cy and Storm, five till six. You see 12 to one, Styles and Wizkid. You see me thrown on a court pass three with Brisk or Mark Smith. It's just, it's just same old, same old, same old, same old. And I think there was, uh, might have been a recession late to the, just before 2010. And you had the smoking ban was a killer first. And I think it was like a recession or it was something about the economy that kicked in. And I just remember saying, this is, this is the death of hardcore. And that's when I went back to do my master's. And um, everyone at the time, when I said I was going back to uni, they're like, why are you doing that? You're, you're, you're out four times a weekend earning 300 quid a gig. Why are you going back? And I was like, trust me, in, in the next four to five years, this thing's going to go boom. It's gone. I, I could see the cracks coming. You could, all of a sudden, you could start to see that like the, the tier two events weren't actually wall to wall anymore. So you probably had... You had your big boys, but then you had an oxygen. You had probably my my events, hardcore evil. You had um, all the stuff in Bristol that were that I would class as like the championship of raves, not the Premier League, but the championship. And all of a sudden, they weren't capacities anymore. They they were thinning out, and it was like right, okay, if they're starting to go, that means the numbers are getting less. And I just remember at the time that 2009, it was criticised by quite a lot of people within the hardcore scene that I'd sort of sold that or I'd started to sell out. I'd started to put, put on less events, etc. But I just, for me, I could see it coming. I just, and I, I'm very one of these people that I'm very vocal on things that I believe in. And I was just telling people, look, it's, it's, it's stale, it's knackered. And um, the big one for me was that you, you look at HDID in the sun, which was the, the showcase event for hardcore. Room two was full of people who like either drove DJs around or had a social media following. They, they were a bit, they were, yeah, but this is what I mean, Tom. If someone was like cool on Don't Stay In, they got played, they got put in room two of HDID in the sun. Didn't matter how good they were like as a DJ, they were booked because they were friends with someone, they flyered for someone, or they, they had a funny photo on Don't Stay In. It just became a joke. It was, and that's another thing that, that I was like, this is going to go boom because you could see what was happening. You could see the standard of Room 2 was getting worse. I remember in Room 2 is when I started. You'd have the likes of myself and Dodgy in it, and you'd have you'd have uplift and ponder and hb and people like that who were were producers they were they were quite well respected and then you had flipping billy johnson who drove someone from portsmouth to glasgow playing and i used but that's where it went and um again it's, it's, it's another one that like i said at the time and i've got no issue saying it now it's that's what what killed it for me but to dial it back to uh, when you started in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was similarly pretty dead, wasn't it, uh, hardcore? Do you think that that, was, that helped to get you to where you were quite quickly? Oh, massively, massively. Um, like, from my first gig in a jailhouse, March 2000 to September 2001, I'd gone from my mate's bedroom, MC in Dana Packard, Bell Microphone, to on every major flyer in the country. And that's a record that, that like I'm still very proud of. And I don't think that it's ever been matched by anyone. Um, is that probably because hardcore only had five MCs at that time? Probably yes. Or five that were, were still pushing the top doors. Don't get me wrong. You had, you had some other decent MCs who were in the regionalized areas, Bristol, Liverpool, um, South coast, etc. But you never really had anyone that 
was coming through and making a noise and it was just like everywhere that I went if I went into a gig in Liverpool people were like oh you're that kid from Wales you go to Birmingham oh you're that kid from Wales Bristol you're that kid from Wales and I just knew that hang on a minute the internet was still on dial-up free server 2001 but everyone around the country knew who I was before I even went on stage that for me again showed that like it happened so quick. Now, the problem with that, Tom, is that I went from being nothing to, to that pretty quickly. And you think that everyone's going to be your best mate. You think everyone loves you. And you, you keep yourself wide open. And in hindsight, I'd have done loads of things different. I'd have, I'd have protected myself a bit. I wouldn't have been as, as nicey-nicey to certain people as I was. But then again, that's probably helped me in, in my, my full-time career now that I spot people I don't trust very quickly. Um, I, I, I make decisions quickly. It's, it's, and hardcore has, has created that that person within me because that's why it is. So, so going back to your main question, yeah, I think that the fact that there was only the five that was there, although them five were very close to, to all of the promoters, and I remember my first time at Slamming, which Briss got me on, um, when I went to get my wristband, uh, yeah, my wristband from the, the little caravan thing, Final Tricks had said to me, oh, I don't know why you're bothering hard because I already got us five MCs. And that was New Year's Eve 2001. And I was just like, and I think me and Brisk were on first set. And it was just like, so I sort of knew what, what was coming. In 2002, there was a lot of, lot of like backstabbing, lies, politics, etc. I just felt that there was, there was a big big sort of conspiracy against me because of how quick I'd, I'd done everything that I'd done. But hard, that's hardcore, mate. It's always been the same. It's still the same now. We hope you're enjoying Raw so far. Now's here where we ask for your assistance. We're a small team of normal people with normal jobs. And if you could spare us just a few quid, it'll go such a long way to helping us continue making more 90s rave-related content for you lovely lot. To do so, you just have to head to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast that url again gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast anything at all you can give uh, will help out and you might even be able to uh, get your hands on some artwork designed exclusively for us by grantus arts and you might even get a shout on future episodes that url for one final time gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast you know what to do what was your first major 90s rave brand booking and can you describe the buzz of being up on stage yeah it's gonna be um, Skelter in Manchester um that's that's the one um you're talking I just remember that it was it was like quite black um black when you're on at first and just like you're just concentrating you're just thinking right don't mess up don't mess up don't mess up you've worked you've worked for this chance you've worked for this chance don't mess up and then all of a sudden like in one of the breakdowns the lights come on and you look out and you see 5,000 people, it's wall to wall, it's rammed. And then all of a sudden you go, shoot. <laughs> I almost, yeah, 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 I almost swallowed that. And um, I just remember going outside and pro- I was shaking. Like when I got off stage, just just shaking, couldn't believe that I'd just gone and done that. And um, now I could, I could do that in my sleep. You could just walk up because I'm so used to doing it. But at that time, to have gone from, and it's no disrespect to, to the j in Hereford because I got a lot of respect for, for everyone that was there. That was probably anywhere from 30 to 200 people. And then you, you go into like 5,000 rammed, different setup. The thing that you've got to learn as well is that the, the acoustics at a rave like that are massive. Like the difference is, is huge. Um, 
And that probably took me, I'm going to say six, six months to learn because you can go, you can go into a little nightclub that's got a DJ behind you and a, and a monitor pointing at you and you can pick up off the monitor straight away because it's, it's in time. Um, when you go to a, a massive arena with, with like walls and glass and everything around it, you just, the sound is just boom, 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 boom. And you, sometimes it can take your, your train of thought completely out and you're just thinking, oh, and I used to, I, I just remember I used to be in work, like when I was still working full time and I have my sets on and I'd be listening to them and I'd be like, yeah, you're in there, you're in there. Oh, you missed that one. Um, and that's how I sort of trained myself. It, it, it it, it was my life, like early doors. It was, I lived for, for being MC Watsy. That was it. Nothing, nothing else matters. That was all, all I wanted. But yeah, the, the first gig, Skelter, yeah, I remember it. I mem- I'll remember that till the day I died. What was your biggest disaster? Hard. <sighs> I don't know, really. <laughs> biggest disaster in art was probably losing 20 grand on an event I promoted. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'll yeah, probably yeah. do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that one, yeah. Um, <laughs> what was that? Um, it was North versus Hardcore Evolution in Cardiff, and we, we, went, we went stupid um, on the lineup, about 25, 30 grand lineup. The, there was a big... Uh, nightclub war going on between creation and evolution at that time there was bouncers on the take to to turn people away and i just it was a 12-hour event with a massive liner and i just remember just like just sat there just thinking you know what <sighs> this is this is bad this is bad and um yeah is that, is that uh, your own money yeah so Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, but at, at that time, you're talking, as I said, like at the peak, I'm not going to give figures, but at the peak of MC, and I'm, I was earning double what I earn now in a, in a well-respected job within the football industry. Uh, hardcore did pay. It, it did pay. When it was popular, it did pay. But the problem was that if you, you could get a little bit cocky about how big it was and... And if you didn't, as I said, in hindsight, I would have been a lot more careful promoting events in Cardiff. In Newport, I could deal with it. It was my town. So in Newport, I knew that like anyone who was potentially dodgy, I could, I could have that managed. When you go to Cardiff, it's a completely different world. Capital city of Wales, it's a lot bigger. There's a lot more nasty people in there. The politics and the, the ability to ruin your event was a lot, lot stronger. And yeah, I've seen all sorts like um, cancelled stickers on posters, um, bouncers paid off not to turn up, electrics cut off. Yeah, it's, it, it it was quite quite heated. The Cardiff nightclub battles when when you when you talk, um, I've, I've come across stuff about L- the London scene in the early two thousands, and I know was there a Terry Turbo book about nightclub politics and stuff? I think it was possibly he's written a book about most uh, things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just. But Cardiff was so like this, Tom. Honestly, I just remember one night I was in a nightclub in Newport, walkabout, and it was like, I had death threats like, put up on the screen. Like, they, had the, they had this big black screen above the dance floor, and it was just like, oh, what do we know where you live? You've come to Cardiff. You've, you've done this. You've crossed, you've crossed the line. And this is probably 2003 time. And um, my mate who, who uh, went on and played football for Chester, he was with me the one night, and he was just like, 
mate, people don't like you, do they? I was like, well, but this, this is what it was like. It was cut, and, and that's why I pulled out of promoting the events in Cardiff for a good couple of years and then went back at a later date because you just didn't know what, what you were dealing with back then because there was, I didn't really know who was who in there. You, you, you're going into something that that's not a lot. And I know there's so many people over the years. I've heard tales of promoters going into Birmingham, going into Bristol, and you hear bad things happen. So I mean, Cardiff's no different. Liverpool's the same. Manchester. It's. Um, I don't know if it's as bad now, but obviously back then days where there were a lot of, of promoters doing their own thing, the poster wars and all of the the, the corrupt bouncers and everything. That was that was a big part of the industry back then. You talked earlier about the difficulties that you had with some of the with breaking into MC and because of some of the behaviour yeah, yeah. of the existing MCs. Um, yeah, I mean it's a scene that has been built on the idea of peace, love, unity, and respect. Is that all bollocks? Oh, hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. Everyone in hardcore hates each other. Um, that's. <laughs> Let's no, let's let's not cut. Let's not cut to the chase on it. Everyone hate, mate. Like at the end of the day, I'll I'll acknowledge people, but uh, there's only so many times that someone can try and screw you over before you just go. I can't even be bothered. Um, in terms of on a social level, I probably speak to three or four people in hardcore on a social level. Um, the rest is just like, all right, because you just can't. I've been through it. You can't, you can't be friends with with people that you just don't trust. And the 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 one that always stands out for me is when I was promoting. This is a prime example of of how dark some of it, some of the people in it are. So I was giving probably most artists around five grand a year to book, um, and they were all, yeah, what's he saying? Blah 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 blah. As soon as I stopped promoting, and certain artists after me have all done events. Not one of them have booked me for their event. So it's like, well, okay, fair enough. You might not like me, but courtesy is I was giving you five grand a year for probably a decade and you can't even give me 250 quid just once, just as a, you know what? He did give me a lot of money back then. Perhaps I should say, yeah, okay. And I just look at it and I just think, yeah, you know what? I can't be bothered. So as I said, it's... It's just one of them. Acknowledge people and just go. Yeah, I got my own life. I'm not gonna to, to slag people off like individually, but if you said collectively, what's my relationship with hardcore artists? It ain't there because I, I just it's not the way I do business. I just think that if you if you're in something together, you like you say, you your peace, love, unity. There isn't any. There you you always see people moaning and bitching that like oh i didn't get this i didn't get this the fact is you're not good enough that's why you didn't get it i had every door slammed in my face but i still made it recon broke through gamma broke through they were talented they got through because they were talented regardless of whatever goes on behind the scenes so when you see people on facebook and twitter and whatever they can get or um, I'm held back. I got this. I got that. It's, it's it's just rubbish. If you were that good, you would you would have got it. And then you also see people who've been spoon fed that still say they've been <laughs> they've been held back, and you just laugh at it. You're just like, wow, really? So were, uh, were some of the, the the MCs that were behaving poorly, and you don't have to name them particularly by by individually by name, but were some of the MCs that 
treated you poorly, maybe you can give an example of, you know, another example of, of how they treated you poorly, but were they, were they people that you'd looked up to? Um, uh, yeah, and no. Um, I, I, I think that I, I was a threat to everyone. I was the first MC that was, was classed as he, he hardcore had a top three instead of a top two. Um, there was a kid from Wales that came in. He had a massive event in Cardiff. He'd done everything within 18 months. He had the backing of Brisk, who was one of the biggest DJs in, in the country at the time. I caused a lot of issues for a lot of people. And um, just some of, some of the stories that, that used to come my way. Remember the, um, the guy, Gil, that bought Dreamscape? He came up to me in Cardiff one night when he was at an event down there. He said, mate, I feel sorry for you. I said, oh, what do you mean? He went, they're all out to get you. He didn't define who they're all out to get you, but he he knew the stuff from his, from his roots in Northampton. And um, I think Rude said it one night, we were having a drink at HDID in the sun at the hotel, and he was like, mate, I feel sorry for you said just just the amount of stuff that comes but with me Thomas I said I just knock it off like all of the 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 dodgy set times the microphones turned down the the told the wrong room the the spellings of my name wrong on flyers it just used to become like comedy to me um I used to then take people to to events with me and like get them to like threaten the sound engineers when I were on in case they turned me down and it just like I said is hardcore screwed because of a lot of things like this a lot of a lot of politics of of stopping not just myself there has been one or two that were probably not as big as they should have been but that's very that's very few and far between but if you're not in certain cliques you you don't have a a great chance to be fair is that the same in in drum and bass or does drum and bass monitor itself or uh no that's not the right word I can't you know, does, 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 it, does it try to sort of help itself a little bit better than than, than hardcore seems to have done I, I can't comment on it fully but two things are standing to me which i would probably say no is harry shotter came from nowhere he was he was nurtured and shown the main stage by by the big names and he became part of their show um which which i take my hat off to but then hamilton who who um Andy C like just just went and and took him under his wing. So you do look at it and you say, yeah, there's there's a lad um, from Cardiff now, traumatic. He's he's doing massive things in drum and bass. So I've seen I've seen a lot of people come through in that scene over the last five to ten years and be given the opportunity to to progress. Where in hardcore, as you say, it, it's a closed shop. Like even now, you could you could pick up the next hardcore flyer, um, for whatever whatever the next event is, and there will be, and I'll be included in this. But seventy five percent of the main room will be people that were there in two thousand. Seventy five percent of the main room lineup will have been there for the last twenty years, because that's that's what the scene is. That's what it is, um, and that's why it's never grown, and that's why it's it's died off. It's a top selector. You're a promoter historically. As a promoter, you know what works, apart from that time when you uh, lost 20 grand. Um, <laughs> is, there, is there any way back for it? Um, I don't think so, mate. I think that hardcore is now a retro sound. I think it's, um, 
it's just one of them. Like I said earlier, it's for, for 30, 30 to 40-year-olds that, that used to go out and they just want to reminisce for a night listening to, to tunes from 2008. But there are some really, really fantastic uh, breakbeat hardcore tunes being made at the moment. The Night Force crew, um, but you've got Coco Bryce and people like that from, uh, from Holland. You've got Tim Reaper making the old jungle sound. It's, it's a sort of, that sort of mi- early 90s, Hardcore sound. All right, it's not happy hardcore, but some of it is happy. You know, some of it's got yeah, those yeah, happy yeah. elements. Do you think that there might be some resurgence for hardcore? Probably UK hardcore, that sound might be dead, but there might be some resurgence for hardcore from, from that part of the world, from that part of the scene? I think, I think possibly around London, um, but I just don't think that that sound Midlands, North, East, Northwest... I just don't think like if you if you look the the big one in the northwest right now is the bounce scene, which literally is I don't want to be disrespectful to it. it it's pretty much watered down hardcore, but it's got better MCs that that are new. There's there's a lad called Easy that's come through that's really good, um, and they they do some innovative things like they do um, YouTube videos with them MCing in kitchens and stuff. Just just a little bit. There's no content. I, but it's innovative. As much as we're laughing, Tom, it, it is. It's something different. It's content. I mean, it's I can MC same. in my kitchen. It doesn't make me innovative. <laughs> but but it's, it's the same in football. Like in football, you're always trying to reinvent the wheel. So as a me, in media in football, you're always trying to do something that, that's like diverse or inclusive or for people to look at and go, wow, look at that. Like Man United have just released that, that god-awful kit. But media-wise everyone's on about it hardcore doesn't have anything if you if you type in uk hardcore on youtube you won't find anything relevant within the last 10 years you you won't but probably the last video that you'll get is is a hdid in the sun 2010 pool party something like that and that's it you look for anything relevant in the last 10 years on youtube with good hits you will not find it because that's where hardcore is but if you look for bank stuff you'll find loads Okay, well, that, I mean, it's, all, it's not very cheery as far as hardcore, uh, hardcore is concerned, but let's try and end on a cheery note. Looking back on your career and your time in it, uh, is it something that, you're, that you still hold happy memories of, that you're pleased about, that you're proud of? Oh, I'm, I'm very proud of what I achieved, yes, 100%. Um, it is one of them that, that in its heyday, I got to play the main arena of Birmingham NEC on New Year's Eve. I played Global Gathering, Escape in a Park, played international gigs, loads of holidays, um, sellout crowds in, in Wales, in Newport, Cardiff, Swansea for years. I've got loads of great memories, Tom. And like, like you, what you probably pick up in this is up until a certain point, it was my life. And now I just class it as I've got some, some good friends still in it. Like Terry Slamman, who does... Um, Terry Slamman and Keys who do Ravers United and, and um, Clubland. I've got a good relationship with them. They've done a concert at Hereford um, Stadium with me. So they're, they're good guys in it and they, they're, they're keeping it alive. But again, see, that's retro. Clubland is, is, a, is a retro sound. And that's what the big events are. There's nothing. If someone went out now and put on a new sounding... EDM style hardcore event purely you'd have 300 people that that's that's where it is but yes in terms of my memories sanctuary warehouse 5,000 people well see 4,000 people bowlers warehouse four five thousand people I got loads of memories and I will always talk to people about what it was like it made me who I am 
And that old hardcore scene, I could never, ever say a bad word about it. Okay, you got a few of the little backstabbing politics that went on, but in terms of performances and crowds and everything I've done, I will always love that. I just think that from where it went wrong was, as I said, the lineups got staler, the dub course sound came in, and it lost its identity. And it hasn't had an identity for for a long time. And I just think that the, all of my good memories are pre-2012, if I'm being honest. Given it's a, a retro scene in your eyes now, there's talk of Helter Skelter coming back uh, for a reunion. Um, a, what do you make of that? And B, would you go? Yeah, I think if it was if it was ninety six to to two thousand ten, um, why not? I I would go. I'd uh, get there and it'd be music that I like. I just think that yeah, I, I've seen I've seen some people that are like just on Facebook beg, looking begging for for a booking. But you you weren't relevant then. You're not relevant now. Why are you begging for a booking? It's not happening. As far as I'm concerned, it needs to be Slipmat Charlie B Force and Styles. Um, you're probably looking at. Yeah, slip. Yeah, slip. I said, I see him then. Um, vinyl Groover, you'd put on there. Sai, you'd have on there. Um, you you need to go back to what it was. You need to go back to mixed arenas. It, if it's Skelter, it needs to be Skelter. It, it it can't be. It can't be just something that that's like a different West Fest or because West Fest has got that different arenas and different genres. That's that's now. Skelter was all about the diversity. Yeah, you had a techno drone, but you had everything else was was mixed up. Like with Lost City was one arena, and it was. But it'd be always the change that people would move. There's no there's no event like that now. So for me, if it if it's Skelter, it has to be Skelter. It has to feature on the artists that were quite strong back then. Okay, if they they wanted to throw one or two newer names in, then that's up to them. But yeah. I, I'd like I'd like it to happen, um, but again, it it's a retro event that that I think is just bringing that culture of thirty to forty year olds out for one one mad event. I think that's that's where it is for me. Don't knock it, mate, because uh, uh, that's what we do these days. Um, you've also got one big thing to thank uh, the rave scene for, and that's your family, because of course you met your missus at, um, through the through the rave scene. Uh, you've got a couple of kids now. How are they all? Are they well? Yeah, mate. Um, so you, you're talking that? Yeah, met Natalie in the uh, the Cotton Club in Newport. <laughs> I was on crutches, so I pretended that she she kicked my foot. And then a couple of days later, I took her to Barry Island. Classy date that was. <laughs> and yeah, we got two kids. You don't Harry was... No, never mate. <laughs> Some cheap chips and uh, candy floss at Barry. But yeah, we um, yeah we got two kids. Harry's nine. Um, Frankie's four. We got two dogs, uh, Bluebell and Mabel. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's good. It's good, good family life. And are the mate. boys into the music at all? Do they show any interest whatsoever in rave music? Harry did when he was younger. He used to like drum and bass. If I was listening to that in the car, he's never really been into hardcore, but he used to, he liked that, um, the, the Rita Ora tune first when he was about two. I can't think what it is. Uh, another one where she's like shouting through like some speaker or something. It's a drum and bassy type Rita Ora tune. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. And then he's sort of gone off it. But Frankie will listen to, to like, if I've got bonkers on in the car, he'll tap his feet. But I know when he's older, he, he won't like it either. So they, they seem as if they like it up until a certain age and then that's that's game over. 
<laughs> you never know. They might come back into it later. Uh, listen, James, it's been great talking to you, mate. Thanks for joining us. No worries, mate. A pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, I haven't been too negative, mate. <laughs> just, no, you, you've been great. You've been great value as always, James. Yeah, I just try, just try to be realistic, mate, and just uh, say how I see it. You know me. Well, I haven't seen you in a while. Maybe I'll see you on the dance floor at Skelter. Yep. Uh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> we'll have a boogie. Top man. <laughs> Top man. That's uh, it. See you, mate. That's uh, James Watts there, MC Wattsy, uh, joining us for a little chat and a reminisce uh, about the 90s rave scene, how he got into it and how he became one of the top MCs in the hardcore industry, uh, but with some negative words for the current hardcore scene, unfortunately. Uh, coming up next week, it's uh, back to the normal Raw main podcast. We've got Brian G. It's another belter of an episode, so don't miss it. Well, that's it from this week's edition of Raw. We hope you've enjoyed tuning in. If you want to give us a hand to create more and better 90s rave-related content while getting shouts on future episodes and getting your hands on some artwork designed exclusively for us by Grantus Arts, you can do so by heading to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast just a few quid will help anything at all frankly uh, but it would go a long way to helping us keep this thing going that address again gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast and we'll see you all next week